section seventeen of henry the fourth king of france and navarre by john stevens cabot abbott this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter seven the death of charles the ninth and the accession of henry the third part one after the massacre of st bartholomew a large number of the protestants threw themselves into the city of rochelle for several months they were besieged by all the power which the king of france could bring against them they were at length weakened by sickness and exhausted by famine compelled to surrender by their valiant resistance however they obtained highly honourable terms securing for the inhabitants of rochelle the free exercise of their religion within the walls of the city and a general act of amnesty for all the protestants in the realm immediately after this event henry the brother of charles the ninth was elected king of poland an honour which he attained in consequence of the military prowess he had displayed in the wars against the protestants of france accompanied by his mother catherine de medici the young monarch set out for his distant dominions henry had been a very active agent in the massacre of st bartholomew at lorraine catherine took leave of him and he went on his way in a very melancholy mood his election had been secured by the greatest efforts of intrigue and bribery on the part of his mother the melancholy countenances of the protestants driven into exile and bewailing the murder of friends and relatives whose assassination he had caused met him at every turn his reception at the german courts was cold and repulsive in the palace of the elector palatine henry beheld the portrait of coligny who had been so treacherously slaughtered in the massacre of st bartholomew the portrait was suspended in a very conspicuous place of honour and beneath it were inscribed the words such was the former countenance of the hero coligny who has been rendered truly illustrious by both his life and his death the protestant elector pointed out the picture to the young king whom he both hated and despised and coolly asked him if he knew the man henry not a little embarrassed replied that he did he was rejoined the german prince the most honest man and the wisest and the greatest captain of europe whose children i keep with me lest the dogs of france should tear them as their father has been torn thus henry gloomy through the repulses which he was ever encountering journeyed along to poland where he was crowned king notwithstanding energetic remonstrances on the part of those who execrated him for his deeds the two brothers charles the ninth and henry were bitter enemies and charles had declared with many oaths that one of the two should leave the realm henry was the favourite of catherine and hence she made such efforts to secure his safety by placing him upon the throne of poland she was aware that the feeble charles would not live long and when with tears she took leave of henry she assured him that he would soon return the outcry of indignation which the massacre of st bartholomew called forth from combined europe fell like the knell of death on the ear of the depraved and cowardly charles disease began to ravage with new violence his exhausted frame he became silent morose irritable and gloomy he secluded himself from all society and surrendered himself to the dominion of remorse he was detested by the protestants and utterly despised by the catholics 
a bloody sweat oozing from every pore crimsoned his bedclothes his occasional outcries of remorse and his aspect of misery drove all from his chamber excepting those who were compelled to render him service he groaned and wept incessantly exclaiming oh what blood oh what murders alas why did i follow such evil counsels he saw continually the spectres of the slain with ghastly gory wounds stalking about his bed and demons of hideous aspect and with weapons of torture in their hands with horrid and derisive malice were impatiently waiting to seize his soul the moment it should pass from the decaying body the day before his death he lay for some time upon his bed in perfect silence suddenly starting up he exclaimed call my brother his mother who was sitting by his side directed an attendant to call his brother francis the duke of alencon no not him the king replied my brother the king of navarre i mean henry of navarre was then detained in princely imprisonment in the court of catherine he had made many attempts to escape but all had been unavailing catherine directed that henry should be called in order to intimidate him and thus to prevent him from speaking with freedom and boldness to her dying son she ordered him to be brought through the vaults of the castle between a double line of armed guards henry as he descended into those gloomy dungeons and saw the glittering arms of the soldiers felt that the hour for his assassination had arrived he however passed safely through and was ushered into the chamber of his brother-in-law and former playfellow the dying king charles the ninth subdued by remorse and appalled by approaching death received him with gentleness and affection and weeping profusely embraced him as he knelt by his bedside my brother said the dying king you lose a good master and a good friend i know that you are not the cause of the troubles which have come upon me if i had believed all which has been told me you would not now have been living but i have always loved you then turning his eyes to the queen mother he said energetically do not trust to here catherine hastily interrupted him and prevented the finishing of the sentence with the words my mother charles designated his brother henry the king of poland as his successor he expressed the earnest wish that neither his younger brother francis the duke of alencon nor henry would disturb the repose of the realm the next night as the cathedral clock was tolling the hour of twelve the nurse who was sitting with two watchers at the bedside of the dying monarch heard him sighing and moaning and then convulsively weeping gently she approached the bed and drew aside the curtains charles turned his dimmed and despairing eye upon her and exclaimed oh my nurse my nurse what blood have i shed what murders have i committed great god pardon me pardon me a convulsive shuddering for a moment agitated his frame his head fell back upon his pillow and the wretched man was dead he died at twenty-four years of age expressing satisfaction that he left no heir to live and to suffer in a world so full of misery in reference to this guilty king chateaubriand says should we not have some pity for this monarch of twenty-three years born with fine talents a taste for literature and the arts a character naturally generous whom an execrable mother had tried to deprave by all the abuses of debauchery and power yes warmly responds g de felice we will have compassion for him 
with the Huguenots themselves, whose fathers he ordered to be slain, and who with a merciful hand would wipe away the blood which covers his face to find still something human. Henry, his brother, who was to succeed him upon the throne, was then in Poland. Catherine was glad to have the pusillanimous Charles out of the way. He was sufficiently depraved to commit any crime, without being sufficiently resolute to brave its penalty. Henry III had in early life displayed great vigor of character. At the age of fifteen he had been placed in the command of armies, and in several combats had defeated the veteran generals of the Protestant forces. His renown had extended through Europe, and had contributed much in placing him on the elective throne of Poland. Catherine, by the will of the king, was appointed regent until the return of Henry. She immediately dispatched messengers to recall the king of Poland. In the meantime, she kept Henry of Navarre and her youngest son, the Duke of Alençon, in close captivity, and watched them with the greatest vigilance that they might make no movements toward the throne. Henry was by this time utterly weary of his Polish crown, and sighed for the voluptuous pleasures of Paris. The Poles were not willing that their king should leave the realm, as it might lead to civil war and the choice of a successor. Henry was compelled to resort to stratagem to effect his escape. A large and splendid party was invited to the palace. A wilderness of rooms brilliantly illuminated were thrown open to the guests. Masked dancers walked the floor in every variety of costume. Wine and wassail filled the halls with revelry. When all were absorbed in music and mirth, the king, by a private passage, stole from the palace and mounting a swift horse which was awaiting him in the courtyard, accompanied by two or three friends, commenced his flight from his crown and his Polish throne. Through the long hours of the night they pressed their horses to their utmost speed, and when the morning dawned, obtaining fresh steeds, they hurried on their way, tarrying not for refreshment or repose until they had passed the frontiers of the kingdom. Henry was afraid to take the direct route through the Protestant states of Germany, for the massacre of St. Bartholomew was still bitterly remembered. He therefore took a circuitous route through Italy and arrived at Venice in August. In sunny Italy, he lingered for some time, surrendering himself to every enervating indulgence and even bartering the fortresses of France to purchase luxuries in the midst of which he was reveling. At last, sated with guilty pleasure, he languidly turned his steps toward Paris. End of section 17